Welcome to No Gods, No Master Volumes, a podcast by two pedal nerds talking about pedals, sometimes with other pedal nerds. I'm Simon, I'm a record producer, musician, and I make pedal demos as Tunnel of Reverb. And I'm Guion, I run Holy Island Audio, a one-man effects pedal operation from Cardiff in Wales. This episode, we are joined by Dr. John Snyder of Electronic Audio Experiments, Doctor of Dirt with a PhD in Fat Riffs. You may know John from EAE's epic catalogue of pedals or through their collaborations with artists such as Pyle and Touche Amore. We discuss the history of the company and John's musical endeavours that exist alongside it. The Doctor will see you now. Well, you're going to need a supercomputer running multiple copies of RX to clean out this audio. But, <laughs> I uh, got you. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. <laughs> well, uh, thank you both for having me on. Um, you know, no, nice, of course. Uh, nice to actually be be doing this. I'm looking. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, my brain's a little bit of a scrambled egg at the moment. But oh, you're good. How was the uh, How was the show? It was great. Uh, you know, this is my first time out in Portland. You know, honestly, I had just been looking for an excuse to go because it's a cool city. I know a lot of people there. Uh, mm. You can throw a rock uh, and hit like three pedal companies anywhere you go. Um, and so it was nice to kind of like see see how all that was working out. I was uh, I was staying with Chris Benson, um, who very kindly let me sleep in his uh, guest bedroom. And uh, man, he's got just the the nicest little you know like house compound thing going on. You know, he and his wife have uh, some some really sweet kids that got a bunch of goats. And then out in the back, Chris has this huge barn where uh, it's the wood shop for Benson Amps, and then also uh, his sort of like private development lab. And, uh, you know, so he's got that sort of space all to himself. And then they've got a proper shop like in, you know, in Portland it, itself mm. uh, where they do, you know, pedal production and amp wiring and all that stuff. And then they've got another warehouse where they do all the cabinetry and upholstering for the for the combos and head shells. So that's oh quite, quite wow. an operation they have going. So I got to see all that stuff. And, um, you know, uh, we were you know, we went out with uh, Alex from Mass Distro and. He he treated us like a king. It was great. Um, I definitely ate very well when I was out there, and uh, and then yeah, the, the expo itself was good. Um, you, you never know what to expect of these things, but uh, you know, got to see uh, got to see a lot of people, and it was nice to actually you know always good to see folks from other pedal companies too. Um, Jesse from Twenty Nine Pedals came out. Um, Fairfield even sent somebody out, which was awesome because that company is like mysterious as hell. It's like an enigma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was cool. It was just, it was a good time. Oh, we also, uh, we got to go to a show at, uh, there's this venue in downtown Portland called Doug Fur, which is an amazing sounding room. But we saw Dream Decay, which is Alex from Science Amps Band. Um, mm, yeah. Absolutely killer post-punk if you haven't listened to them. And then this band Fax uh, from Chicago, who I'd never heard before, but they're like, you know, just just a really good noise rock power trio. I couldn't believe how good their drummer was. Like one of those drummers, you see how hard he's hitting and you're like, oh, I'm in for like a really good show. <laughs> um, and uh, it was awesome. I cannot recommend both of those bands enough. So just mm. like a good, just a good time in general. That's um, a solid weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely doesn't get much better than that. So also since it's tomorrow, I, I can I can spill the beans. We're announcing sending tomorrow. Um, oh, sick. Reason being that uh, it's the five-year anniversary of the original release. And while we're not going to have, we're not going to be selling units until like mid to late July, because of the sort of scope of this, I kind of wanted to like sort of trickle out information for the weeks leading up to the actual like sellable date for these. So, mm -hmm. uh and we're really playing it down to the wire because, as Simon knows, we have not sent out the beta units yet. And that's because <laughs> oh, uh, our our lovely enclosure vendors who have never messed up an order before, 
they messed up big time. And it's it's just one of those things. It's just pure bad luck on everybody's side. Uh, but we had like a print that was shifted over by like a millimeter and a half. Oh, man. And so it just it just looks it, it was like, I can't sell these. Not for the price <laughs> we're trying to charge for these. So, you know, but it, it, at least we can get the word out, you know, get some nice photos on the Internet and end the, the years of silence for, the, for, for this thing. So uh, exciting week over here. That's such a huge milestone to get to as well. Like actually being able to be like, it's done. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's finished. Yeah. To, to be able to just, you know, say like, all right, I'm, I'm finally pushing this baby out of the nest here. You know, yeah. uh, it certainly took me long enough. I mean, like you've told me like the feature set and everything it has compared to the original, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm one of the like lucky people who's has one and I've used <laughs> it on my board since pretty much the day I got it. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, this, and, oh, like, yeah. the amount that you've added to it is crazy to me. Like it, it shows how much work has been. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, I would say at this point it is a different pedal in all but name. Um, yeah. Which, you know, honestly, we even thought about changing the name just to get out from the associations of the original. But I realized that the association associations with the original were, were positive. And so, uh, you know, and sending V2 had kind of become like a like a shibboleth among people who were following the company. It was like this, you know, it was turning into like a bit of a Half-Life 3 situation where it's like, is this thing ever going to actually come out, you know, or uh, yeah. is John just going to pursue different projects forever? Um, yeah. And uh, I wanted to, you know, and it, I realized like the opportunity with that one is, uh, you know, here, I'm, I'm going to let me get it out of my bag. I actually this, this is the one pedal that I did not ship back from Portland. I had to fly with it because uh, as of right now, it is the only one that is fully functional. You don't <laughs> um, want to risk that. And, yeah. And so here uh, here it is. Um, and all the all the, you know, oh, yeah. uh, 680p glory of this webcam. Here. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, this thing has uh, it's, it's essentially like a rack style analog delay. You know, it's, it's 15 volt bipolar power rails. It's got, uh, you know, way more filtering, way more, uh, you know, sort of dynamics tricks, way more sophisticated preamp than you would typically see in like a pedal format. Um, and then if that wasn't enough, there is an entire motherboard grafted onto this, <clears throat> which is basically, you know, it's handling, uh, you know, a series of, of you know, several control voltages and clock signals and that sort of thing, which are just being passed to the analog board. Um, so if I was if I was a smarter person, I would have just said, okay, we're gonna take the analog board and release just that as a Eurorack module and cut the bill of materials cost in half. But uh, but no, I had to I had to, you know, do this, you know, wild digitally controlled analog thing and, and cram it all into a box. But you know, so every single one of those knobs is is accessible via MIDI CCs and can be saved as a preset. Um, including the the gain, um, all the delay controls, the mix, all the LFO stuff, and there's a there's a lot of infrastructure that had to go into it to make it you know like an actionable thing, um, and also not draw you know an amp off the wall either. Um, so the the thing, and I think I think uh, as as uh, you know as gain people, you'll both appreciate this. The way we set up this color control, which is uh, sort of the an artifact of the original was, uh, you know, there's this discrete preamplifier, which the the one of the V1 actually became the halberd. Um, yeah. After after many many years of iterating on that design, I didn't want to put an entire halberd into a delay pedal because that would have just been completely a uh, completely nuts thing to do. And so instead, uh, I designed a new preamp, and then I said, well, we've got digital control, so we could do some interesting things with this. And so this preamp is. Uh, sandwiched uh, between a series of uh, voltage-controlled amplifiers that essentially let you level the gain as you turn it up. And so 
as you're increasing the sort of overdrive uh, in like harmonics and whatnot of this preamp stage, you're also keeping the output leveled. Um, and what that means is that you can overdrive the delay line pretty heavily without it getting super loud because uh, I didn't want to put a master volume on this on this delay pedal. <laughs> and that was that was the only reason. There is a master volume control that's baked in as an alternate function. You can you can kind of uh, go below the panel, so to speak, and tweak some some set and forget controls. And that's one of them is to just trim the volume a little bit. But that was one of those just weird hyperfixations that you know did that have to happen? No, but I really wanted it to, <laughs> and uh, and so it did. But yeah, anyway, so that's that's been my week is uh, yeah. you know, getting ready to get this thing out the door. Uh, you know, traveling a bunch, meeting some cool people, eating some wild food, thinking way too much about delay. Um, <laughs> It's been it's been good. It's been good. That's awesome. And there's just been the the flanger release from Hawker as well. Which yes. You, were you working on that with him? Yeah. So Hawker is he's taught me a lot of what I know, especially about the more you know uh, sophisticated side of analog electronics. I mean, I I would consider him to be the kind of world expert in BBD technology. Um, mm. You know, like it, the especially with a lot of the quirks and nuances that come in when you're really trying to understand. Uh, you know, the sort of level above these things, like the, you know, just so many things like, oh, how does the, the frequency response of a BBD and the gain change with clock frequency is not something that people who are making like a Boss DM2 clone think about. But if you're trying to make, you know, like a high bandwidth delay beast, uh, you know, then then that's something you really have to think about a lot. Um, and that's especially true with a flanger because the clock frequency has to span, you know, like it's around like six to eight octaves of, of uh, operation. So all this to say, you know, he absolutely took the reins on this design process, but he likes to send me prototypes and kind of get my sanity check, partly because I have, uh, you know, a lot. We've got a lot of amps and guitars here. Uh, you know, we've got lots of folks with different, uh, you know, different backgrounds and strong critical listening abilities. You know, I think especially between you know myself and Brad and Miranda. Uh, we can pretty quickly suss out if a pedal sounds good, and it really did take uh, the whole team to like get to the get to the bottom of some of the things that we liked and didn't like about those earlier prototypes. And uh, you know, like especially the drive control. You know, it's such a hard thing to get right. You know, like this one knob drive control. Just we wanted it to just sound a little better, and then get to some interesting territory when you turned it up. But you know, my background is you know uh, like post rock and noise rock and alternative whatever stuff. Brad is kind of similar to me. Um, you know, Miranda, honestly, Miranda is too. The, you know, she has a really wide ranging music taste. Um, but then Hawker listens to like jam bands and stuff like that. <laughs> and so, and, and don't get me wrong, like I definitely, appre I appreciate the Grateful Dead, uh, especially for their you know contributions on the technical side of things. But it's not the kind of music I typically listen to. And so uh, for us to meet in the middle and come up with something that sounded good for everybody was uh, shockingly difficult. But yeah. the rest of it came together pretty naturally. I mean, just the, we wanted a really huge LFO range. We wanted it to get like wicked, wicked slow. You know, we wanted to be able to do uh, the static comb filtering uh, because mm -hmm. I'm such a Misty Cave fanboy, you know, and, and at the end of the day, that thing is a parked flanger. And then one of Hawker's trademarks is like the phase switch to change the phase in which the, the feedback signal is fed back in um, or the phase in which the comb filter is, is combined with the original signal. And those have dramatic changes because, you know, normal comb filter kind of, is uh you know u-shaped like it kind of goes up um but if you invert the phase then it becomes kind of m-shaped actually i think it's the other way around but uh you know that that really kind of goes from like a, a classic flanger jet plane sound to uh this like weird kind of like hollowed out like tubular filter thing um which is just really really interesting and 
uh, and rare. And then we kind of had the idea to include the envelope follower, which uh, a lot of Zappa, Frank Zappa fans have picked up on this because that was a signature part of his playing technique. Um, but it was actually, it actually came from uh, Hawker using his older flanger pedal, um, which he designed uh, over at Moog with an expression pedal. He just wanted to not have to do it with an expression pedal. Like he kind of liked using it almost like a, like a, a, a filter or wah-wah pedal type thing. And uh, the convergent evolution with the, the Zappa sound is pretty interesting because now we've got a bunch of Zappa fans emailing us being like, oh, well, did you know that he used two of these things with one going up, one going down and all this stuff? And we're like, listen, man, we just thought Envelope Flanger was cool. Yeah. Like you, you guys can sort this one out on your own um, <laughs> because like this is already, you know, this would be like, this would be like if, uh, you know, I made a Shredmaster pedal and a bunch of Radiohead fans were like, well, did you know that blah, 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 blah. I'm like, listen, I like Radiohead. They're one of my favorite bands, but like, I don't need to, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to clone Johnny Greenwood in a vat. Okay. Like I just, <laughs> I just thought this sounded good. Uh, and so we're kind of getting a similar, uh, similar sort of thing as that, but you know, getting the diehards coming out. I mean, you'll get those fan bases with those sorts of artists as well that are just like, everything has to be down to a T and they know everything inside out as well. Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's tough because those people, uh, get really excited about this stuff, but then they're impossible mm -hmm. to please. You know, it's a very oh, difficult 100%. thing. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, you know, because there's always going to be, you know, for all you know, someone, uh, some artist who fell in love with a particular piece of gear, theirs might be modified or it might just literally be broken. Um, yeah. Or, you know, it turns out that the whole magic was uh, whoever was sitting behind the recording desk using like a really nice, you know, compressor or, you know, room sound or mic, you know. You just don't know uh, sometimes yeah. these things, and I find I find that fascinating. But also, uh, it's encouragement to like stay in your lane and make your own shit a little bit. <laughs> just be like, yeah. listen, this is this is my approach to this thing. This is this is what I want to do. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not trying to measure this against anything else. I just want it to be what it is. That's a that's a powerful driving sentiment behind what what mm. we typically try to do. Definitely. Did you get any of that with the release for Pile as well? Did you get any diehard Pile fans? <laughs> We had, you know, we had some people being like, well, I don't understand how this fits into their into their music, which I can a little bit see because, uh, you know, the, the usage of those effects tends to be very subtle. Um, you know, honestly, on the guitar side, most of that was octave up depth. You know, we kind of put our nod to like the pog sound in there. And obviously the fidelity is not there because uh, for a variety of reasons, their uh, pitch shifting algorithms are just incredibly well done. You know, there's a guy I, I don't remember his name, but Matt Farrow knows him who just is like a legend in that space. And he's worked for EHX for a long time, designed some cool algorithms. I was never going to get to that, but we wanted to at least throw uh, that kind of cold uh, octave up and down thing in there. But the, uh, you know, from the sort of production side of things, the jump uh, from, you know, from their record in 2018 to the solo material to, uh, you know, to all fiction, like the most recent album was, you know, years of just having the time and space to experiment mm -hmm. with uh effects and sounds and the the thing the sort of germ of the mirror house was actually uh rick's got a profit uh six i think he's i, I don't remember the exact model number but there's a, a knob that's labeled slop and as you turn it up it just adds i think i think what it's doing is it's kind of emulating the behavior of an analog synthesizer that is uh that has fallen out of tune you know like if you want especially if you're doing like hard sync with two voices to be able to keep those in tune over temperature and years of use and capacitor drift and all that fun stuff uh, is a serious undertaking, which is why most of those synthesizers are digitally controlled and calibrate themselves constantly. But 
because of that, uh, you know, it actually can sound a little bit too clinical. And so this knob basically makes the forces the oscillators uh, out of sync with one another. And it's kind of like a detune, but it's also kind of uh, based on the velocity of the note that's coming in, you know, to emulate that sort of instability of these old synths. So that was like our starting point. And so I, I had the idea to include this sort of envelope controlled detuning. So you could get that kind of sloppy, uh, like miscalibrated effect, um, but on demand with guitar by just sort of playing differently. And uh, so that, that effect got used obviously a lot on the synthesizer voices, but uh, it inspired the, the vocal effects and some of the guitar processing on that record too. And so rather than like, you know, Limelight for instance was, you know, me designing a pedal, sending it to the band, they sent it back to me, we tweaked it, and then they use it on the record, um, yeah. you know, like in a very intentional way. This was like, how do we combine these techniques and kind of experiences into like a cohesive thing? And I thought it was pretty interesting, you know, uh, what would be really funny is if it ends up on a future record, because uh, that will be kind of, it will be a, an interesting full circle moment. But uh, yeah, that was almost uh, almost a you know we're not trying to achieve the pile sound, but instead we're letting Rick uh, use his sensibilities to to you know sound design a pedal. Um, yeah, and then of course there's me trying to meet him where he's at with that, and and that was the that was the result. So this is an interesting one. It's a very it's a very strange pedal, um, but yeah, I, <laughs> it's what what got me like excited about it was the fact that it felt like it was just something that he wanted and that, you know, him going like, I can't get this. Like, I really want a, a pedal that does this. And I was just like, I think I want that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, the, that's, that's the cool part too, is, is this sort of loop of, you know, wanting a particular sound, realizing that it, that it hasn't been achieved yet. And then, uh, you know, then, then making that and then having this almost relief that your interests aren't as unique as they think they are, because, uh, you know, it's a way to like connect with other people and, uh, you know, and then people can take that sound and interpret that, interpret it for themselves and then make their own records. I mean, that, that's like, that's what makes this whole thing worthwhile in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. And they, you just did the second pre-order run of those, right? They shipped like a month ago or so. Yeah. Yeah. We were, cause what's funny is that like, we knew we were, you know, we realized we screwed up big time with like the amount that we had made available. And so we were like, all right, we're going to make some more of these, but uh, you know, piles going on tours, which means that, you know, uh, Miranda who, who works for us and also is, does front of house for them. Um, it is also our fastest assembler uh, was gone for that time as well. So it was like, well, we're just going to make these when she gets back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and as soon as she got back, like, you know, she like crushed that batch super quickly, but uh, we definitely were a little behind for a while there. Uh, it was great that you could do another run of them. Cause I remember they went like, they went in like two minutes or something. Oh yeah. It was wild. We did not expect that. Um, you know, cause the, the, the pedal market has quieted down a little bit. You know, I think, you know, we were in this this very much like pandemic era boom of pedal sales. You know, folks were were bored at home, and uh, you know, pedals make being bored at home a lot less boring. Um, you know, we we can all uh, we we can all relate to that, and and uh, you know, so I think there's this uh, kind of fight for relevancy, which is cool because it's make, forcing people to make uh, more interesting and unique offerings. Um, but also, it's a little bit scarier too, right? You know, like I didn't want to, I didn't want to, we didn't want to like front you know, so many units that people weren't going to buy them. And that's always the struggle in this is to be like, well, you, are you making enough? Are you making too much? You know, like anybody with a decent pedal idea um, that's gaining some traction can like, you know, if you scrounge up some money, you know, you could you can flood the market. You know, uh, it's not impossible. If you have an idea that you really want, like there are contract manufacturers who will basically say, 
uh, you know, yeah, we'll we'll work on like a year long thing. We'll build a thousand of these, and you can put them all on Sweetwater um, and pay us when you're done. And uh, you know, like yeah, like you can you can do that, but that's a dangerous way to go because if those don't sell, then like you know, you're on you're on the hook. Uh, yeah. So you know, but you know that that's that is like a thing that people do. And so there's always that gamble, right? Of like, are you making enough? Are you not making enough? Um, mm. And so, and then of course, you know, there's always the accusations of artificial scarcity, or mm. uh, you know, you, you can never get you can never truly get around that. It's like, well, you know, the scarcity is real. It's me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one human, and uh, also the laws of thermodynamics apply. Um, you know, resources are finite, especially, you know, like we've done the best we can to get, you know, handmade processes out of there. But like if you're, you know, if you're hand wiring and hand screen screening stuff, it's like a wonder that anybody get anything at all. It's like you should be lucky that you get these pedals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think people forget that a lot as well. Like it's so quick for people to not realize they're talking to just one person building mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you find like since because you're you're obviously working in a in a team now is yeah. that just like something that's naturally had to occur or was that something that you were planning from the beginning to to expand in that way it absolutely uh, was not something i anticipated um you know for there was a while where i had kind of a small circle of people who were helping me out on a part-time mm -hmm. basis you know um like i became friends with brad because we lived down the street from one another and didn't know it um and uh you know and i realized like you know i was in school at the time and so my my time was was really limited um you know i was i was building pedals like nights and weekends and uh and it got to the point where my you know, my now wife was like you, you know you need to rest a little bit like you need to spend more time with me and i was mm -hmm. kind of so i was so like kind of deep in in this hole um where i was like yeah no you're right like my social life is is in shambles <laughs> and so uh you know it got to the point where i was like brad can you just help me with like assembly you know um because he has his own pedal company um mm -hmm. and uh you know he was busy with that but he was willing to make some time to help me build like metal model fets and stuff like that and uh, we had a good thing going because i could just drive pedals over to his house or drive parts over to his house and then he would uh, drive pedals back to mine and and uh so he and i had been working together for a while um and then once I, you know, once I finished school, which was right at the start of COVID, I, I defended my thesis in May 2020. And I thought I was going to go get a real job, you know, real job. Uh, and and nobody, um, you know, none of the places I've been interviewing at called me back because, uh, you know, it was a hiring freeze. I was a fresh mm. graduate. And also, uh, you know, I, there were, there, I didn't go. What I learned uh, very late in the game was that most of the people who want to hire electronics PhDs are uh, military contractors and I had a hard right. line against working in that industry. So my job options were kind of truncated both both artificially and uh, through very, you know, materialistic means. And, uh, you know, as a result, I was like, well, I'm just going to do this pedal thing. And at that point, I knew I was going to need some help. Um, because otherwise, you know, I would either be building pedals all day while the emails pile up, or I would be answering emails all day while the orders pile up. And, uh, you know, both of those, both of those kind of suck. So, uh, you know, I said, all right, well, I'm going to have, uh, you know, by then Brad had, Brad and his wife had moved out of the city. And so I would just, I would drive pedals, you know, uh, an hour and a half out to, uh, you know, to not, not quite that long, but you know, like four, 45 minutes out to his place. And, uh, you know, and then two weeks later, come back and drive everything and then do mail order in my apartment. And that worked for a while, but you know, my apartment is very small and I also have a dog. And so we were like, all right, there's dog hair in the packages and, uh, you know, I'm sick of carrying these like big boxes of pedals up and down like our tiny spiral staircase. And it was uh, so that was kind of what motivated like us moving into like a moving into a shop and having some space and 
having everyone in one place makes it a lot easier too. It's so much easier to do things when it's like, hey, can you give me a hand with this? Or, you know, hey, we got an email from this vendor about this thing, you know, like, and also I think we all kind of feed off of each other's energy in a way uh, that's really, you know, it's really positive. And so we're, uh, you know, I, I definitely didn't think this is what I was going to be doing. And I didn't think that I was going to need help, but realizing it and then bringing folks on was, was an absolute uh, game changer for me. Certainly helped with the, the work-life balance and all that too. So, you know, uh, very, very grateful for the, for the other folks we've got here. I mean, that is important as well, especially when it's like you are a one-man operation or you're seen as that. It's so tied mm -hmm. to your personality because I, I get it as well where I feel oh, yeah. if I haven't responded to someone quick enough or I haven't emailed mm -hmm. someone back and I feel guilty and it's like it does get pretty heavy. Uh, you do need to take yourself out of the environment sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so it probably helps to have that space. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got folks thinking you're amazon.com you know yeah. why didn't you I, I placed this order three hours ago why didn't you ship yet and it's like man uh i don't know i still gotta build your order <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know i gotta order the parts to build your order because uh you know there was a dozen of you and and uh that's really exciting for me but also like again i'm just one guy you know i gotta i gotta yeah. make lunch at some point i don't know what to tell you um <laughs> and uh that doesn't go away when you scale but it does get easier um mm -hmm. but it has been funny you know like uh, the one thing I really didn't expect all, in all this was that uh, was kind of being, um, you know, like the face of of the company as it grew, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like, obviously, like, I, you know, I like putting myself out there and I like, you know, the sense of community and all that. But what I wasn't what I wasn't expecting was being the most extroverted person in, in the organization, because it's a very low bar to clear. <laughs> um, at very least, the most online person, you know. Um, but, you know, going and like doing trade shows and stuff like that, um, you know, I think I think because if it's something I'm interested in, I can I can, you know, ramble about it for a long time. And people mistake that for being friendly, um, which works in my favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have met a lot of people who I genuinely really enjoy talking to. And that helps as well. But every once in a while, I'll just be kind of standing there while just like some random dude is playing like, you know, uh, like John Mayer riffs through this, this demo board. While I've got the headphone splitter on and I'm just like why am I here? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. um, like, this is, it's, this is not what not I signed for up for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having, having some guardrails on that, on that engagement is helpful, but it is an interesting place you find yourself in, you know, and, and I have this conversation with friends who, who, you know, have pedal companies, friends who are musicians, especially people, um, you know, who, who have like a smaller, you know, smaller bands where, you know, the only way it works economically is if they don't hire a PR person or at least don't have a PR person full time, don't have a manager, you know. So suddenly it's like, you know, honestly, I've had this conversation with Rick from Pyle a few times. You know, they keep, they keep everything very, very small so that the band is self-sustaining. You know, it's economically viable to do what they do. And, uh, you know, it's a lot easier when you don't have essentially middle management types uh, taking a cut of that all the time. But the, the way that you pay for that is uh, you have to constantly put yourself out there. You know, the, the algorithm de is demanding its daily pound of flesh. And, uh, you know, and that can be that can be really exhausting. And, and it absolutely leads to burnout. Um, you know, I've also had this conversation with demo artists, too. And mm -hmm. without speaking for people like I know that it's exhausting to be like, hey, there's new releases happening all the time. And you're part of that content creation machine. You have to constantly be putting yourself out there uh, for the people who, you know, their their brand is, you know, talking in front of the camera and playing, you know, uh, that can be really exhausting because you've got to constantly be thinking of fresh things to say and you don't want to resort to clickbait. You have to have an authentic presentation. 
but at some point it's like, wow, great. I'm demoing my 50th overdrive pedal in the last two years. Um, and, uh, you know, the people who made this probably think it's cool, but like, for me, it's the 50th overdrive pedal that I've seen. Yeah. So like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little fucking done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and like, uh, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you just, you just kind of run out of things after a while. And, uh, you know, that, that's a, I don't know what the antidote to, I mean, I do know what the antidote to that is. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, moving away from like a, a capitalist implementation of this industry, but, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, we all got bills to pay. So, yeah. uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, uh, it's very, very hard to, to meet that balance. I don't know. I don't know the right answer. Mm-hmm. I think treating it like an art project is the thing that is most satisfying for me personally, you know, to say, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'm manufacturing a product, I'm selling it to people, but at the end of the day, you know, we're making things for ourselves and then hoping that folks, uh, folks like that, you know, well, that's what we were talking to Evan from dirge about as well. Like you keep it exciting for yourself by mm-hmm. keeping your art like first and foremost thing and it's mm-hmm. like i find it with recording as well like i have to be making that art that i'm really proud of otherwise i just i gotta do something else otherwise yeah yeah i mean i'm sure i'm sure you know you've had to record some bands that you just like were not connecting with you know mm-hmm. and uh i mean yeah it's kind of like the same thing as uh you know someone having to, uh, some poor demo person having to, to do another tube screamer clone <laughs> you know yeah um it just <laughs> It just gets a little old and you got to be, you know, it's hard to stay professional about it too. When you're faced with this sort of like hyper personal per- personalization aspect of it too. Yeah. And I feel like that's come out even more recently in pedals where like the builders are like on the front line, almost like whether it's like in discord or on Instagram or mm-hmm. in like YouTube things, like you're being put out there and people are hearing and they want to hear your personal opinions about stuff mm-hmm. as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I like to talk, I like to talk about this stuff. I mean, like, you know, uh, I mean, like, I, I'm really interested in having conversations with both of you. Like, I think both of you do excellent work, and I'm interested in what you have to say. So I carved out time in my in my life to make this happen because it's important to me. Right. Um, Thank you. You know, uh, you know, I, I could be say I could be saying no to these things. And there are there mm. are some things I probably should say no to. Um, you know, we don't have to do every single event that we sign up for. But, you know, uh, so it's like on my side, like being extra enthusiastic about this stuff all the time. Um, I have to be mindful of the like sort of the backswing exhaustion of it all, you know, coming back yeah. from a weekend of traveling and then being like, I have to sleep for like an entire day because I've been talking to people for essentially like, you know, 48 hours nonstop. Yeah. You know? yeah you're just on the whole time. You like, you have to, it's part of the job, mm-hmm. right? It's a yeah. super odd yeah. fatigue as well. It's such an unnatural thing to just stand and talk to people. You mm-hmm. don't realize you're doing it when you're talking about stuff that you've made as well. Cause I've only ever, uh, I've done, uh i did like an expo recently uh uh-huh. i guess it was it wouldn't be recent now but it was like the first time i'd done something and i was like oh, i don't even know if i can do this because afterwards i was <laughs> knackered driving home was horrible because it was oh just my god yeah it just drains you and and yep. i'm also like like yeah you'll get people playing acdc riffs and you almost want to be like oh don't do that, don't do that. Is it... <laughs> the guitar's in drop b it can't play that don't do it. <laughs> but um but you, you almost want to tell them and yet every time they play something, you want to explain like, oh, no, I changed this on this for this reason. <laughs> and that weird, like, uh, they, yeah, that drive to have to explain everything is like so strangely exhausting. But yeah. I, it's, it's like, it's not that it's not an, an enjoyable experience, but it's definitely uh, can suck the life out of you. It's true. Well, now, now you got me. I want to hear a band that sounds exactly like ACDC, but all the guitars are in drop B and they're all going through a plague pit. <laughs> Simon, <laughs> you're recording that demo, aren't you? Yeah. I, to be fair, I am mixing your record, so 
<laughs> very true that's that i mean that is essentially how i play guitar so uh, yeah. but uh but yeah no, i mean that honestly the closest thing i can think of in terms of that level of like energy drain is like touring you know yeah um, yeah i i haven't done a ton of touring but i did enough to know that uh i should not be doing it very often right <laughs> it was uh mm-hmm. you know very it's very satisfying it's great to travel it's great to play music with your friends um but you know, eating lunch at Seven Eleven every single day uh, is uh, is bad for the body and uh, should be treated as such. So, you know, there's there's always the pros and cons of it all. Um, mm-hmm. Or it's like you know, some you know, honestly, with like some bands I've been in, it was like every night on tour was a party, and it's like that's that's not a way to live life. You know, it's fun for like two three days, and then you're just mm. like, oh, my body. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still finding time uh, to to be able to sort of work on music yourself? Uh, because it's a difficult balance, I think, like actively yeah. saying, right, I'm not going to work today. I'm going to actually, well, I'm not going to work on <laughs> stuff that's going to pay the bills today. I'm going to work on things for myself. It's it's a difficult yeah. uh, balance. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, it's funny because like, uh, and I, I'm sure you experience this a lot too, being mm-hmm. like, uh, well, I got to make an Instagram reel today. Um, am I going to use a riff that I was saving for something meaningful or am I going to spit this out for uh, 30 seconds of, of dopamine um, on the yeah. internet for somebody? Um, at this point, I've just kind of leaned into it. And I'm using Instagram reels to workshop riffs for projects. So it kind of is a win-win. <laughs> that's me as um, well. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we actually, so we started like a, like an EAE shop band. Um, you know, Brad and I have a buddy of ours playing drums, uh, Damon from Sunbeamer, um, who, uh, definitely check out his stuff. He also has Ooh. that label folded note records, yeah. which is really good. It's like your rack ambient stuff, but Sick. he's also a, a great drummer. And so we're just, you know, doing our, our, touch and go records worship bullshit. Um, and, uh, I'm tr- I've been trying to write a record around the obstructors guitar because it's such a, a, it's such a weird instrument. Um, and it really fights you, you know, it, mm. it, it uh, you know, it, from a, from 10,000 feet up, it's doing, uh, what a Travis Bean would do. Um, but in reality, uh, it's, it's, it's far more sort of dangerous, you know, um, you know, the Travis beans came from the seventies. And if you, if you dial them in, right. Um, you can you can play very classic sounds with them you know it wasn't until like the 90s when people were buying them for cheap and then and then using them in a particular way mm-hmm. uh that that they uh you know they kind of garnered this association and even like uh you know if you think about uh you know Dwayne Dennison right like his his background is in is in like classic rock and rockabilly and stuff like that and that was where all his playing came from so it was like this classic sort of mindset the Travis Bean is like if you know the or the the, the obstructors would be like if aliens uh, found a TB 500, uh, and, you know, and, and put it in a, like a Star Trek replicator and just made it out of metal. Um, and it's, and it's, it's like a horrifying instrument. Um, you know, you can get nice sounds out of it if you're careful, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one that you really have to fight with, which makes it incredible to play. Um, and so we've been trying to write, I've been trying to write music around this and it's been a very, mm-hmm. very interesting time. And so we're, you know, so we're, we're working on that record slowly, but surely I'm going to be stepping in the vocal booth again for that one, which I'm dreading, but, uh, <laughs> should, should be fun. Um, I, uh, I blew up my voice back in the day, so it'll be fun to see what happens, uh, you know, doing this again in a less, uh, and I was in like, like, you know, like post hardcore screamo bands, you know? Um, and, uh, so yeah, we're looking forward to it. I also, uh, I have a new Ember Wreath record that is almost done. Um, it's actually in mastering with my friend Matthew right now, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Mm. Um, it, they also mastered the Verdigree record and, and just did a phenomenal job with it. So that's really fun. Yeah, we we tracked Miranda and I tracked that over uh, a couple of sort of isolated sessions uh, over at Machines and Magnets, which is a, a, a very cool studio 
here in New England. Um, that's where uh, I know the body has done a bunch of records there. Uh, that's where that's where Battles used to record. Uh, who else? Uh, I think that's also where Big Brave does most of their material. Um, yeah. Just an amazing uh, Lingua Ignota. Also, Kristen records yeah. there. Um, actually, I used a dulcimer that uh, I think was on a couple of her records for some overdubs. Um, so I'm very that's excited awesome. to see uh, right. what comes out of that. Um, you know, it was like we had I had. A, over the over you know like lockdown i recorded probably around like you know like 30 or 40 hours of like improvised drone material um which i just slowly like whittled down into usable chunks i think maybe um i think maybe 10 minutes of it ended up on the record <laughs> which means that some of it will either get chopped up and used in other capacity or i might just say you know this like I don't know. I like to have a DAW running when I do this stuff, mm -hmm. just to, if there's a good moment, you always want to be able to capture that for later. Um, yeah. But it was a very interesting uh, experience doing all that. And uh, recording at that studio was, was phenomenal. And Miranda is a great engineer. So we just, we got, we got to have fun with all the weird rack reverbs and stuff they've got there. And, uh, you know, using the rooms and uh, experimenting with mic placement. We did some really weird midside stuff on that dulcimer that we used. Um, so it was generally just a, a fun time all around, but so I've been I've been able to find space for these things where I can, and uh, it totally keeps me sane. It's an excuse to use all these these pedals that I've accumulated. Um, mm -hmm. It's an excuse to to you know actually you know play the guitar in a way that is just for me and not for anybody else. Uh, and uh, I I really am grateful for that. But I I you know I really had a hard time with it for a long time because it was just like when I was in school and building pedals part time, I did nothing else. Um, it was uh, it was impossible. Now I have some semblance of work life balance and uh, can actually get away with it, which is, which is, it's good. It helps a lot. I think it's important to do it when you can, because I've had the same thing where I'll be like working on music all day or doing a demo all day. And then I'm just like, the last thing I want to see is a guitar right now. Like, yep. I, I don't yep. want to hear anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's why, uh, that's why Miyazaki gave us Elden Ring, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's where I've been spending most evenings. Uh, just, you know, just got to get got to get mad at a boss instead of a mad at a circuit, you know? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I felt like there was that sort of link between uh, in your naming of, of circuits and pedals and stuff. There's quite like an obvious sort of fantasy link there, isn't there, with the halberd and the... I, oh, yeah. Every time, every time I pick up a weapon or something, I'm like, oh, oh, there it is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Between FromSoft games and D and D, I've been in I've been in mm -hmm. uh, a regular D and D campaign for for uh, several years now with uh, with my like very very my wife and my very closest friends, um, and uh, you know that is like probably the thing I care the most about outside of like pedals and music, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, you know that it's absolutely what kept me sane over over the sort of like darkest parts of of lockdown too was just like. You know, at least being able to, you know, my, my wife and I are two best friends live like down the street from us. So we were able to meet up every weekend to play D&D. &D, and, uh, you know, uh, a good dose of escapism really makes uh, my life a lot better. So it was mm -hmm. uh, a, a strong net positive. And yeah, those those influences leak in from all over the place, you know. Um, mm. Also makes it easier to name stuff if, I, if I've got a theme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it immediately resonated with me, those names. This It's sort of like uh, you can really... Uh... You really find your people when you uh, you see a name like that. And you're like, oh, I immediately know that this is going to be something that I'm interested in. It yeah so it breaks that barrier immediately. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? How it sticks with you. Like you wouldn't think like 
Longsword is just like fairly simple name, but I remember yeah. as well. I think it was the first pedal of yours I saw at a studio somewhere, and I was just like, I want to try that. Mm-hmm. I want to plug yeah, that in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get people's attention, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I think honestly, I think the Holy Island naming convention is incredible too. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I've you know I've talked to folks about this before, where it's like. You know, uh, it's not an obvious, there's not like an obvious trend in all the names, but it's like the second you hear it, you're like, oh, I know exactly who made this. And (laughs) I think the only other company that that pulls that off that uh, in my in my opinion is uh, is uh, Caroline Guitar Company. You can always tell it's Caroline pedal based on their their naming convention. Um, And uh, I'd love to know how they did it, but they sure they sure as hell did it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I remember. Uh, you know, the same way, Simon, that you saw the longsword, you were like, yes, I got to try this. Was That was my experience with the Wave Cannon. Um, you know, I was in a I was in a guitar shop uh, here in Boston, and I, I uh, you know, I saw that on the shelf, and I was like, I've got to play this thing. Like, it just looks so cool. Um, and I bought it. I tried it, and I bought it on the spot. Um, and that was my main overdrive for years um, because it just did the thing that I wanted. It was that uh, into a V4. Um, it was like, you know, all my band's old records and stuff like that. So... You know, simpler, simpler times. Oh, I mean, that sounds like the perfect combo. Anyway, it's uh, why mess with it? Well, I mean, unless you're designing circuits yourself. It's, uh... Yeah, that's the, that was the problem because I was like, oh, what else could I do with this? That one, that was one of the circuits that inspired the longsword because, uh, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but the, the wave cannon is kind of in the rap lineage. Um, but all I knew was that it was an op amp drive. And so I was like, mm-hmm. OK, I got to make an op amp drive. And I was never able to make it sound like the wave cannon. And so I just kept adding shit to it. Um, and that was what turned into the longsword. Um, you know, not that I was trying to make it sound like the wave cannon, but it was like, it's got to be as, as good as this. You know, it's got to make, it's got to, it's got to be as compelling. You know, I can put them side by side and do even more with it. But uh, instead of getting even close to that, like my, my knowledge was so rudimentary at the time. Um, this was probably like 2014, uh, early 2015 when I was doing this. Um, you know, it just became its own thing. Um, you know, and at the time, uh, I was living in a basement apartment in uh, in Boston. And during the winter of 2015, we got around uh, 110 inches of snow. Um, so we were just getting, yeah. you know, blizzards like every single weekend. And so, you know, me living in this basement apartment, we literally like wait for the snow to clear out. We dig ourselves out. We run down to the bottom of the hill we lived on like stock up on like beer and frozen pizza and take it back up. Cause it was like, I don't know when we're going to be able to go back out again. Um, I couldn't even take my car up and down this hill cause it was, it was a pretty steep hill that we lived on. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the streets were, uh, you know, were just a mess all the time. Like the city like could barely keep up with it. And, uh, so it was like time to provision up, but I had my breadboard. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, I, I spent many, many long hours, like, you know, trying out all these different things and, uh, you know, when I was teaching myself Eagle, you know, doing my first like just horrifically ugly auto routed board with like the wrong packages for everything and, you know, trying to solder that up and it didn't even fit in the enclosure it was in because all the wires, it was like, you know, it was like probably 10 feet of wire in this pedal. Yeah. Um, but that was the first longsword and I, I, we actually use it on a couple of recordings. Um, just, you know, it was just sitting on the studio desk just and it's all it's unhoused glory. Um, just like barely, you know, it would like cut out in the middle of the take and have to like jiggle some wires to get it going again. Yeah. Um, again, simpler times, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Was that your like first dive into building pedals? That kind of. So for about a year before that, so I had I had the electronic audio experiments like Tumblr, 
-hmm. you know? Um, and during those days, I was just building like barrow circuits for friends of mine. You know, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a Tomy and Mamps when I grew up. Um, you know, uh, the guy, the, the guy from Rosetta who had that awesome Tumblr blog. Uh, yeah. You know, and I was I was dabbling in amp repair, and I really mean dabbling. I look back now at some of the stuff I did then. I actually have tracked down a couple of the amps I fixed back in the day and made it right. Um, and because like I I just I I thought I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. Um, you know, uh, and so it was really interesting to like uh, you know to start a, st start to try to do my own stuff. Because um, like I had I had taken a couple electronics classes in undergrad, um, but you know the the gulf between what works in you know if you're if you're doing a, a a circuit problem on an exam and it's a, it's an op amp and you say okay uh, calculate the output voltage as a function of the input voltage you know you could do that right um and it might even be interesting but it doesn't tell you anything about what it's actually doing it doesn't tell you what it's for it certainly doesn't tell you what it sounds like um and it doesn't tell you if it's going to be worth a shit on guitar so it was like you know to be able to go from like okay i've got this this rough uh, assemblage of textbook knowledge to actually making a thing uh, took a lot longer than I thought. Um, and so, you know, doing clone builds kind of helped me like learn a thing or two. And this was back when it was like, it was just all Vero board. You know, there weren't company, there weren't like PCB mills like selling like, okay, here's a clone of your favorite overdrive. You can just buy this and, and paint my numbers. It was a lot more like rough and tumble. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I often found myself uh, modding the stuff that I was making, too. So it'd be like, oh, well, you know, we did an EP boost and it sounds OK, but I'm going to put, uh, you know, I'm going to put a, a, a diode clip around it or something like that just to, like, give it something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, various friends of mine, I'll have have those. And most of them are probably broken. I, I occasionally see them on reverb and buy them back because I'm a little embarrassed. But, you know, I had to start somewhere. Right. And yeah. uh, but but I knew that was going to be a springboard into uh designing my own stuff and so when i finally had the space to do so by virtue of being snowed in for a while uh i was able to say i was able to sit down and make this long sort idea um and uh and the v1 is so different from what you know what we currently make today because every time i would revisit it i would uh, you know often it was like okay i gotta update the layout for manufacturing purposes might as well open up the simulation and tweak a bunch of stuff and then listen to that and then order prototypes of that and then tweak it again and then you know people be like well you've made a long sword in a year and i'm like i know it's got to be perfect right but um you know finally i've chilled out on that one uh thank god can only can only if there's ever a long sword version five i think people are gonna like come out here with torches and pitchforks yeah are you at 4.5 now yeah a lot of the you know the 0.5 revision was really just to you know that was like adding like the we changed like our wiring scheme and we add, we added voltage protection to everything because mm -hmm. i wanted to get our repair costs down and uh because you know there it's not that it, we were getting a lot of them but when people would plug in the wrong power supply it was like a destructive failure and they yeah. didn't feel good sending out like a burn board to people so we would you know we would replace the circuit board and just charge people for the cost of parts mm -hmm. um because I didn't, you know, I don't ever want to be like hey your pedal's fucked i need 200 dollars. you know like that doesn't yeah. feel right to me no um, no and uh you know so i was like all right i want to i want to not have this be a problem anymore so you know spending an extra few bucks on the back end to have like voltage protection stuff made it uh a lot easier uh for us to scale up because it meant that relative to the number of pedals going out the door uh the total number of repairs is pretty close to when it was back in the early days when when the circuits were simpler um, oh, right. and that that makes life a lot easier um you know, and a lot of companies don't bother with that. Um, you know, frankly, uh, it's, it, you know, it is easier to just say, okay, I'm going to order 10 extra boards. And if a repair comes in, I'm just going to throw it in the trash and, and make and reinstall it. Um, and I totally understand that. But uh, I just, uh, 
I just didn't feel good about it. You know, um, yeah. I didn't really want to contribute to the you know, the electronics industry. Already has such a big waste footprint in general. I just I didn't want to make it worse, at least in whatever way we could. Um, yeah. So so that was the, that was the point five thing. And we did the same thing with the yeah. Fed. We did it with the the Halberds got it. Um, you know, pretty much everything with sensitive power supply circuitry, which is like most of the shit we do these days, uh, has that protection in it. So, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to run at 24 volts. You don't want it to blow up, right? True, yeah. true, yeah. I was going to ask, when you met, you mentioned um, sort of re- repairing amps uh, earlier on, and yeah. uh, I don't know if that's something that you're still doing, but you obviously, you've got the model fair and... Uh, you 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 will have looked into um, sort of what's making those circuits tick because I, I get the itch and I I just read like the schematics and I'm I'm just it annoys me how simple amplifiers are but the uh, balance of how much it scares me that I could electrocute myself to death <laughs> balances it out a bit but do you ever feel like that that would be an avenue in the future you'd like to tinker in or is it just not something that that would appeal to you? I mean, I think I get bit by the bug every once in a while. So I thought we were going to be an amp company, you know, because I, I really, you know, I was a big fan of, of Atomium amps, but also Dunwich amps. You know, I I, oh, yeah. I still have such a vast admiration for Nick's work, but especially back then, there was this like mystique to it, you know, um, and he, he gave me some good tips early on. Like he was the one who was like, hey, here's how you use Eagle and here's how you order boards from Osh Park and all this stuff, you know, that yeah. was really, you know, that was like the cornerstone of DIY pedals, uh, you know, like five to eight years ago. And uh, he gave me a lot of those resources. And he also uh, helped me through my first tube amp build. Um, I got a a Weber kit and uh, it was a Weber kit for like a Sun 100S basically. And uh, I rebuilt it with my own preamp design. And uh, that design still exists. In fact, that that prototype is uh, over there. (laughs) You can't see it, but uh, it's sitting on top of the amp pile. And it's it's pretty cool. Um, I wish you know I, I've learned a lot of things about amps since then. You know what really I think is is interesting about tube amps is that uh, because of the characteristics of tubes themselves, mm-hmm. very small changes to circuits can make a huge difference. You know, um, and there are lots of things that are hidden inside tubes that you don't think about. Like for instance, uh, you know, people talk about a thing called a grid stopper in a tube amp, and it's because uh, at, at the grid of every tube, there is a, a, effectively a capacitor. And so by changing mm-hmm. the resistor in front of a tube stage, uh, you're changing the cutoff of a low-pass filter. Um, but you're also changing the clipping characteristics of the tube, and you're also changing the point at which it starts to clip. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's lots of all this interactivity. And so people who tune tube amps in a particular way uh, are spending a lot of time with making these small adjustments to the biasing and the coupling between stages and um you know, it's it's really remarkable how much uh, sort of reading between the lines has to go into tube amp design. And I didn't really get a respect for that until much, much later. Um, you know, after I went through the ring around it in the solid state realm and then coming back and saying, oh, wow, there's a lot of subtle complexity hidden in this. Um, you know, because in a, in a solid state circuit, you know, you're assuming just, you know, arbitrarily high bandwidth for everything. So it's all about hiding capacitors in places and tuning filters just right. In a tube amp, you get that for free if you know how to use it. And so... I was always very fascinated by this, but never understood it until a lot later. Um, I definitely want to do an amp someday, uh, especially after having hung out with Chris Benson. I really want to do an amp someday. Um, but I also know, uh, again, as a result of hanging out with him and also, you know, playing a b- bunch of like science amps and things like this, the bar is high. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff yeah. out there. So if I were to ever do it, I'd have to really do it right. Um, 
And uh, that's exciting to me and I would love to do it at some point. I think once I uh, can kind of get in a coasting place with, you know, with some of these uh, like digitally controlled analog effects, the goal there is to be able to have stuff where I can kind of, you know, right click save as and make a new pedal that's uh, using the infrastructure and the code that we've written just to, for a different type mm -hmm. of effect. Then I'm going to start thinking about tube amps again, because uh, that will allow me to fulfill a dream that I had a long time ago and actually make some of this stuff. But it's uh, it's easier to get into than one might think. It's hard, harder yeah. to do it well. You know, there's a, there's some great kits out there. And, uh, you know, I think if you've, if you've got a good knowledge of tuning gain circuits, you can kind of start to intuit some of these things. And I'm always also happy to chat offline about this stuff because, uh, you know, I know more than I could ever put to use about it at this point and uh, would be happy to, to workshop ideas or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Also, you know, uh, getting shocked is part of the fun, too. <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. there is that element. It's the danger. <laughs> yeah, keeps it spicy. Yep, I, exactly. I've had a bad shock when I was. I had a this uh, rack unit, a saturation thing with tubes in, and I was swapping the tubes, and no one told me to let it cool down once you've unplugged it. Oh yeah, oh, that'll, that'll get you. That'll get you. Yeah, yeah. it was rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think when I was building my first amp, I the parts uh, showed up at like five p.m. on a Friday. Um, you know, I was sitting there all day, just like, you know, I was just like sitting there at my, you know, my kitchen table, just like drinking coffee, waiting for it to show up. And before I know it, it's like the evening and the FedEx guy just drops his box off. And I was like, it is go time. And <laughs> I, you know, I was like, I was so excited that, uh, by the time the amp was ready to get powered on, it was like four in the morning. Um, and so I turned it on and, uh, sparks fly and I, my hand was resting on the chassis and. You know, it got me pretty good. And at that point, I was like, I need to go to bed. I need to go to sleep. Yeah. I need to, I need to uh, think about this. And uh, it was because I, I had, at the very last minute, I had swapped, uh, you know, the hot and ground wire on the incoming power inlet. And that was enough to, you oh, know. Okay, yeah. You know, it was it was a very stupid mistake, but that's exactly the kind of mistake you make yeah. before in the morning. Um, and so, and that shock jolted me just awake enough to realize that I needed to go <laughs> to sleep. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was great. Um but uh, so as long as you don't do anything stupid, you know, you can usually, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you can usually be okay. And yeah, there's some basic quality of life stuff that people should tell you, like discharge your caps or let it cool down. Yeah. Or, you know, if people don't tell you that, uh, then, you know, it can be pretty, pretty dangerous. But yeah, uh, the safety precautions are, are very few and very important, I would say. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's old technology, isn't it? Like tube amps have been around since, what, the 40s? I, I guess yeah. Prior to that, it's and I mean, we're still we're still building stuff off the back of those schematics so it's oh yeah it's uh it's not yeah it's uh it hasn't gone into that digital realm that other things <laughs> i mean it has but yeah people are still have that affinity for that yeah. those old school and, circuits yep and i think i think that's a that's a really special thing you know um it's cool to see that technology still being put to such good use mm -hmm. uh in so many different ways and uh and to see people continuing to quietly innovate too you know yeah um the fact that there are companies releasing new ant models that are that are really compelling um is uh is exciting to me and those are people who really understand the history of, of those amps too because you know there is obviously the fender marshall vox lineage yeah. you know uh high watt gets an honorary mention of course um though they've always kind of been underdogs in that realm um but, you know, there's there's lots of interesting, you know, like pre-60s designs that get forgotten about. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like even people forget about like old Gibson tube amps, which are just remarkably good if you get the right ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, but they weren't reliable and they weren't fenders, so they never caught, quite caught on in the same way. Um, 
So it's cool to like, you know, talk to people who have worked on a lot of amps and then have been like, well, I'm going to take all the best parts of these and combine that, you know? Uh, I think that's a, that's a really special talent. You know, something that I think uh, Varelin did really well. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, something that Benson does well, um, something that Alex of Science Amps does really well. Um, you know, like Brian Sowers also, though he he's kind of a rare case in that he he was so obsessed with developing the perfect tube amp that uh, he basically realized that the key to making a perfect tube amp is making a perfect transformer. And then he got so deep into transformers that he never came back out. And now it's just making yeah. transformers for other people. But uh, he had this incredible realization um, that uh, basically in the mid 60s, people invented plastic insulation. Um, and, uh, you know, the way to make a transformer is you have alternating layers of wire coils with insulation in between them. And the insulation uh, is really important because if your uh, transformer coil short out, it's not a transformer anymore. It's just a wire. But what he learned was that the that the these, you know, if you've got a conductor with an insulator in between that is a capacitor. And so the material that is insulating the windings of a transformer is integral to the sound of the transformer. When plastic insulation was invented, uh, everybody switched to it, which meant that all transformers started to be started to sound similar to one another. And it homogenized the sound of transformers across manufacturers and brands and even decades of ant manufacturing. And so what he's done is he's he's come up with ways to essentially like recreate these old uh, insulation techniques using modern technology. Um, and a lot of it is paper that is impregnated with certain chemicals to make it a better insulator. And so he's recreated all of these, but it was through like decades of disassembling old amps and understanding their transformers that made this possible. And so now you can say, oh, well, I want a recreation of, you know, an early Partridge transformer that like maybe Hiwat would have used, um, but pre-Captain Tape. And so he can create the winding forms and the actual windings for it and have those same like, you know, unique alternating layers. And there's lots of unique like physical, you know, like the way that the coils are sort of, uh, you know, interwoven with one another has a huge effect on the sound. And he's studied and understood all this stuff. I got to visit his shop when I was out in Portland and I was like, there is a level of understanding to this that I didn't even think was possible. You know, I thought a transformer was just a bunch of wire in uh, the bigger the hunk, of, the hunk of metal it was wrapped around, the better the transformer yeah, sounds, yeah. which, you know, to first order is kind of true. Uh, you know, we can we can thank uh, the Sun Brothers for that one. But, um, you know, the uh, it was so, so fascinating to, to hear about that stuff. And that's another thing like that's not on a schematic. You know, the schematics got the true, part of yeah. the transformer. Um, but there's so much art in the design of these things that uh, without Brian might have actually just been lost. Um, and so he's been he's been doing a lot of fascinating work and recreating all these different technologies. So pretty amazing stuff, really. Yeah, that sounds super impressive. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to peek that workshop. I imagine that's a treasure trove of uh, really interesting stuff. Oh my god, it was yeah. it was cool. I could I could have spent a whole day there uh, if I had the time to. It was, mm. it was really, really something. Oh yeah, I wanted to just check in about uh, Eldritch Blast and how that came about because we heard from Alec a little bit about it, and uh, I don't know, it's such an interesting pedal. <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, that one, yeah, that's an interesting one because, uh, you know, so I, I had this, I had this, uh, this circuit that I open sourced called Magic Missile. Um, you know, more yeah. D&D references. Uh, yeah. The rabbit hole continues. And uh, it was kind of me being like, okay, here's like an homage to like the Debbie Ever Escobedo thing, you know, um, like sort of piggybacking transistors backwards on one another to like do uh, something that's almost an analog octave, but not quite. And 
Uh, Alec really took a shine to that circuit. Um, and I had this one particular prototype that sounded way better than the others. And I didn't know why. And so I just sent it to him to like mess around with. And uh, he, you know, he kind of, he had this idea to maybe do like a deluxe version of it and release it as a collab. And so, uh, so we did exactly that. Um, and the, I kind of let Alec take the reins on it. And as, as his company has matured, obviously he's become a lot more of a peer, but early on it was kind of like, I was like sort of mentoring him and helping him out. Yeah. Um, and now he's very much got his own identity, which is awesome to see like that company, you know, like he's like kind of one of the authorities on weird fuzzes these days. And so it was cool to work with him in that, in that capacity. And so we did like a, an initial run and then we did a second run and every time we would iterate on it a little bit, but finally I was like, uh, you know, I, I took like a really deep dive into it and I was like, can we change a few things on this? And that was what became the version two. Um, there was sort of like a version one and then like a tweaked version one, you know, like just these gradual iterations. Um, and I really wanted to get more muscle out of the HM2 EQ thing. And mm-hmm. I was really pleased with it at the time. And, uh, and then we kind of found out that like it, uh, people were, were missing some of the stuff from the original. And I was like, well, I don't know what they're talking about. And finally, um, in preparation for this current batch, you know, Alec and I sat down and really talked a lot about what the design meant to either of us and what we were trying yeah. to achieve with it. And we, we actually learned quite a bit. So when he was able to come out here and hang out in person, it was it was really interesting for us to sit down and like get this thing exactly where we wanted it. And uh, so that was the version that you know we're now making, which I think is really like the definitive one because it's got the unruliness and the gain of the original one, but it's got uh, you know the cool foot switchable EQ of the versions that we've been making mm-hmm. previously. And uh, but it was interesting to like dial all that in and it was actually motivated because I made a mistake on the circuit board for the most recent revision. And so we were gonna have to get in there with a couple of bodge wires anyway. And I said, all right, well, we might as well tune this thing while while we're together and like really just get that get that right. And uh, so, yeah, so we kind of were able to finish it from there. I think the only the only that was also where the improved chaos mod came about was the original chaos was a gate sort of thing. But it was like a it was a gate where, you know, if you played it would kind of like sputter and arpeggiate down. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. And uh, but then when I improved the EQ, it made the gate stop working. And I didn't really, you know, I always thought it was just a regular gate. So I didn't think that much about it. But Alec was like, oh, we definitely lost something here. And so that was when I said, well, what if we make it a circuit bend instead? Because all we have to do is lift a resistor off and then hook it somewhere else. And uh, that really kind of gave the pedal a new life. And now the question is, there's been much internal debate about this, is uh, to the, the extra foot switch have been the chaos foot switch all along. And uh, it would take a it would take another revision. So it's like, well, how many times do we tweak this thing? But We've certainly thought about it, uh, yeah, because it could be fun. But but yeah, that was an interesting one. I really like how that thing sounds, um, and it gets uh, you know you can do that kind of like nasty like high passed thing really well, which which we all love. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, but then that EQ can give it like a really huge like like low end, which is which is also oh, yeah. really fun. So yeah, it's a weird pedal. Um, I'm glad we got to do it. It's been you know, it was especially nice to have Alec out here to really you know, yeah. like properly hang out, uh, you know, that dude, he's just, he's such a sweetheart and, uh, just fun to be around, you know, just endless enthusiasm for, uh, yeah. for yeah. life and guitar and fuzz pedals and good, good kid for sure. I just hung out with him this past weekend for the first time. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause y'all were uh, playing out in Pittsburgh. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. He's great. He's just ray of sunshine. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know where he gets it. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant dude, too, for sure. Well, we should probably wrap up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I could probably do yeah. this all day, but yeah. um, I've got yeah. uh, 
a, a disgusting number of emails that I'm probably going to have to get to uh, after not doing any email work this weekend. So, <laughs> oh, shit. yeah, that's that's business, you know. Um, I would certainly rather be doing this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to do a part two or something sometime. You know where to find me. I know. I feel like we barely yeah. scratched the surface, too. Yeah, so. absolutely. Oh, well, thanks so much for coming on. And it's just been so interesting to hear everything. Yeah. And every every guest we've had so far has name dropped you on every episode. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, we were like, we got to get him on. <laughs> yeah, I made a lot of good friends, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you, you two would have got me on here one way or another anyway. So, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, totally, totally works out. But yeah, you've had, uh, what, Evan and, and Alec both on here yeah. so far? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a, a damn good crew as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Hell yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, cool. thank you both. Uh thanks so much, so John. Much. Um, of course. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'll talk to you both soon. Yeah, I'll catch you soon. All right. Soon. Cheers, gentlemen. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. So because we're so professional, we completely forgot to ask John to plug his socials. So Simon is gonna do that right now. You can find more information about electronic audio experiments at electronic audio experiments on the socials and www.ea.zone. Yeah. 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 Yeah.